This morning we will be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. This is the final installment in our series, What We Believe, a study of the Apostles' Creed. And this morning we will be looking at the final section of the Creed, the resurrection of the body. So if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning at verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God. Lord, we ask that you would use your word to enlighten our minds to renew our wills. Lord, meet with us this morning. Show us your truth, your truth that changes our lives, that we might follow the Lord Jesus Christ. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, we come to the final installment in this series, and for those of you that have not been with us each week, We've been looking at the fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. And this was sparked by a survey that was done by Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research. They came to Americans and asked them whether they agreed with a series of statements. And within those who were surveyed, there were a section who were self-professed evangelicals. And what we have been seeing each week is that there, has, there is a great deal of confusion in modern American evangelicalism over the foundational doctrines of the faith. Who is God? Who is Jesus? Who is the Holy Spirit? What do I need for the forgiveness of sins? What is the judgment for sin? And each time, each week, we have been noticing that there is at least an unhealthy plurality, if not a majority, of self-professed evangelicals 
cannot understand the fundamental doctrines of the faith. That evangelicals declare that the Holy Spirit is not a person, but a force. That Jesus is the greatest created being of God. But this morning, we come to the last section in the Creed. And it is, at least to my great encouragement, that here, evangelicals stand on solid ground. When they were asked whether they agreed with this very specific statement, biblical accounts of the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus are completely accurate. The event actually occurred. You can't get more direct about the resurrection than that. 94% of evangelicals agreed with the statement. Now, I know we might have some concern about that 6% that claim to follow Jesus but aren't sure that he lived and rose again. But this is a healthy change from what we have seen. And it's important because this is a critical issue for the church It's a critical issue for each individual Christian because it involves, quite frankly, our eternal destiny and what we think God is preparing us for. And so because we need to see the end of what we believe, because we need to understand what it means for us, we're going to turn once again to the Scriptures, specifically to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, to hear the Apostle Paul flesh out a bit for us what we have already confessed in the Creed, that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And this morning I would like us to see two general things that come to us about this doctrine. First, we will see that Paul brings us knowledge from the Lord. That the Lord wants us to know about the resurrection. But then secondly, we will see that Paul brings us comfort from the Lord. That this knowledge does not come in a vacuum. It comes to us to be a comfort and a stay to the believer. Knowledge from the Lord. And comfort from the Lord. Let's begin then by looking at how Paul explains this doctrine of the resurrection of the body to us. He begins by telling us that we are not to grieve. We're not to be sad. We're not to be upset because of the resurrection. Now, this is not a theoretical issue. People often approach the end of our lives. People often approach our purpose and our destiny, theoretically, by asking questions like, what do you think the purpose of man is? How do you think history will end? But you see, this tendency makes the issue impractical. It separates my life from my destiny. It separates my purpose from how I am supposed to live. The Bible instead takes the opposite approach. Look at the context for this passage. You see, when Paul is going to tell us about the end times, about the resurrection from the dead, about the resurrection of our bodies, he doesn't start by saying, let me give you a nice lecture. Let me fill you in with some information. It comes in a context, and the context of our passage are exhortations to godly living. 
Chapter 4, verse 1, Paul tells us that we are to live to please God. In verse 2, he tells us we are to abstain from immorality. In verse 3, he tells us we are to live lives of holiness and honor. And in verse 4, he even tells us we are not to take advantage of others. And then, in the next section, beginning at verse 9, he moves to telling us how we are to live as a testimony to others around us. He tells us we are to love one another in verse 9. And we are to live quietly and to mind our own business. And then, in verse 12, he tells us that all of this is to be done so that we are living properly before outsiders. That our lives are to be a testimony to the work of Jesus. And then what he realizes is our confusion about our purpose and our end is painful. And so he says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do. Now, why would we think about this? Why would we grieve? Well, I think it's on one level obvious. Everyone is affected By death. Now, it's not something we like to think about, is it? As a matter of fact, we come up with euphemisms for death. Paul actually does that himself in the text. He says, those who have fallen asleep. We talk about people who have passed on. You see, thinking about our own death is difficult. And this is not something that Christians are immune to. We have had others around us, loved ones, who have died. And we begin to think about our own mortality more and more, especially as we get older, don't we? So Christians are not immune from death. But what Paul tells us is, that the very worst thing that can happen to us with respect to death is that we can be uninformed. Because you see, if we're uninformed, then we're not able to lean on Jesus. If we don't understand God's purpose and our destiny in Christ, then we become confused. And I find it almost humorous the way that the Lord directs Paul to use this word, uninformed. Its word in Greek is something that you all know well. It's the word agnostic. You see, what Paul is saying is, for the most important thing in life, from the most critical event that you are to think about, your own death, the very worst thing that you can be is agnostic. Because there's no help there. There's no hope there. And so what the Lord does is He provides instruction for us. He doesn't want us to be uninformed. And so He brings us the truth of the Scriptures because without the truth of the Scriptures, we live to our own detriment. Without knowing the truth of the Scriptures, we have distress. We have pain. We have grief. This is what Paul means when he says, do not grieve. Don't be distressed. Don't be pain. Don't be grieved. Now, Paul doesn't say, don't be affected. He doesn't say, treat death nonchalantly. 
as if it doesn't matter, as if it's not something serious, as if it's something we can turn our backs on. But what he says is, is that if we know the truth of God's word, then we won't be afraid and we won't be hurt and we won't be pained. Because the worst part of death and facing it is to have no hope, is to have no solid ground to stand on, is to wonder what will become of us. But you see, we are to know and to believe the teaching of the Lord our God on the resurrection so that we will not be confused, so that we will not be hurt, that we will not be hopeless. We are to know and understand what the Lord is teaching us. Don't grieve, Paul says. And then Paul begins grounding our hope in the gospel. After he says don't grieve, he says trust the risen Christ. Look at the way verse 13 begins. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. So what do we do? For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Paul takes our eyes off of ourselves and others around us and our own mortality and he says, look at Jesus. He wants us to know that our resurrection depends on what Jesus has done. Now, this is very similar to what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, you know that chapter well. It's the resurrection chapter in the New Testament. But do you remember how it begins? Before Paul talks about the resurrection of believers and the resurrection of Jesus, he starts and he says in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. This is critical. It's not that everything else in the Bible is unimportant, but it's that this message is at the top of the list. It is the first important thing. And what is that message? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried. And that He was raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures. You see, Paul wants us to start with the Gospel and to move from there. Often our temptation is to start every place else and try to muddle our way to the gospel. Paul says, start with the good news of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Don't look for solutions in speculation about the end times. For spectacular events. No. Where is your hope for eternity today? Do you begin by thinking about heaven as a concept? Do you begin by thinking about your own works and what you can do to make sure you make it to heaven? Do you begin by thinking about the concept of the afterlife and what it would be like? What the Bible tells us is we are to begin with Jesus. We begin with the gospel that Christ died for our sins, that He was buried and He rose again. And so our hope is in Christ. Do you see how Paul directly links your hope to the fact of who Jesus is? 
Now, I want to remind you once again that even in a random survey, 94% of evangelicals said that the bodily resurrection of Jesus is a fact. This actually happened. It's just as true as the ball dropping on New Year's, as the vacation you took last summer, as the place you traveled to last year. It's just as true and factual. And what Paul says is, because we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring those with him who have fallen asleep. You see what Paul does here. He says, it is just as Jesus has risen from the dead, so the believer in Christ will rise from the dead. So if you believe the resurrection of Jesus is a fact, the event actually happened, I've got good news for you. Your resurrection will happen. It is a fact. We just haven't gotten there yet. But it's just as true as the past fact of our Lord Jesus Christ rising from the dead. It is Jesus who earns our resurrection for us. Now, we are not independent of him. Do you see how Paul describes it? God works through Jesus to bring those who have died back with him. There is no separation from Jesus here. It is Jesus' power and it is Jesus' accompaniment. The risen Christ is the one who conquers and solves all of our greatest fears about death. Not just for us, but also for our loved ones. Now, could you imagine what life must have been like for the Thessalonians? Step in their shoes or or sandals, if you were, for a moment. They had come to know the gospel They had believed in Jesus Christ, expressed faith in Him that they would have the forgiveness of sins and that they would be with Him forever. They had heard the gospel story that Jesus is preparing a place for us in glory. And then something happened. Something every day in the world. Some of the people who believed died. And Jesus hadn't come back yet. Could you imagine the fear that would grip their hearts that maybe these loved ones who had died before Jesus had come back would be separated from them? Could you imagine the fear that they would be separated for all eternity from those who had died before Jesus came back? And you see what Paul says? There's no reason to worry or to fear because Jesus has won the victory. Trust the risen one for yourself and others to rise again. And the Lord wants us to surely know that we will rise again. He knows this is important to us. And so what he does is first, as we've seen, he points us to the reality of Jesus and what he has done. But now he gives us another surety, his promise. He tells us that we are also to trust the word of God. And this is what God does. He backs this up with his word. Hebrews chapter 6 puts it this way. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, what did he do? 
He guaranteed it with an oath. And you see, this is what God is doing. Paul wants us to know that this is not his opinion of what our eternal destiny is. He doesn't even want us to think that it is a theological deduction. You know how we do that in the scriptures? We deduce from what has been written principles theologically. But we still have to admit we're not as 100% sure about that as what's written in God's word. And so that's why God writes this in his word for us. He gives us his sure word that it will happen. Verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. You see, the word of God is foundational for the believer. Without it, we might speculate about what might happen. We might even be afraid about what will happen. But instead, we are called to trust God when he tells us what must happen. When the Lord speaks it, it must happen. It must come true. And everyone who believes in Jesus will rise again, Paul tells us, by a word from the Lord. There will be no distinction between those who have died and those who are alive on earth. Now, the only way that that could happen is if God raises the dead from the dead to life. This is exactly the kind of faith that Abraham had. Do you remember when God came to Abraham and gave him his promise? That through his son Isaac, he would be a blessing to all of the nations. And his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand in the seashore. And then after a bit of time, he came to Abraham and he said, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. Abraham is caught in a dilemma here. What do I do? If I obey God and kill my son, how will God's promise come true? Because God has promised to bring this true through Isaac. What do I do? And Abraham did what faith does. It latched on to the word of God. And he said, well, the only way both of these things could be true is if God raises Isaac from the dead. So that must be what he's going to do. Death itself can't get in the way of God's promise. That same promise is here for you this morning. Death itself cannot get in the way of the promise of God to be a God to you and to never leave you and never forsake you. And the only way God keeps that promise is through the resurrection of the dead. Are you ready to believe God's word this morning? Are you ready to trust the Lord when he speaks to you a word of comfort and promise? Well, the truth of the resurrection is not just simply for more knowledge. You know, whether we know it or not, The resurrection will happen. So why does God want us to know about it? He wants us to know about it because he wants us to live our lives in light of the resurrection. He wants to give us comfort. And so Paul now brings comfort from the Lord. And the first thing that he wants us to understand and to be sure of is that Jesus 
is certainly coming back. Now there is a comfort that comes from knowing God's plan, isn't there? We already know He's in control, but knowing this makes it more real for us. We already know that Jesus is not theoretical, but that Jesus is very real. And so what Paul wants us to understand is we must rise again because that is what it takes to be with Jesus forever. Now we have to put aside here extra biblical thinking. You see, what Paul tells us is is that the Lord himself will descend. He will come again certainly. We need to put aside thinking of heaven that goes something like this. I picture in my mind's eye, I'm sitting on a fluffy cloud that looks something like a cotton ball stretched out. And I have wings on my back, and somehow I've magically learned to play the harp. And I sit on this cloud, and I pluck the harp, independently of everyone else who has their own cloud and their own harps. That's not what the Bible teaches about our destiny. That's not what the Bible teaches about heaven. We were meant to live body and soul together. Not ephemeral, floating on a cloud. And we know this for a fact because Jesus' body is forever. It is a glorified body. It is a risen body, but it is a real body. And when Jesus returns, he will return bodily. And he will return to gather his people together. So Paul tells us that when we will rise, we will rise to be with the returning Jesus. And there will be no mistaking it. Let me tell you from my study of the scripture, you don't need to worry about being caught unawares when Jesus returns. It's not one of those things where you say, oh, I forgot that appointment. No. He himself will come, Paul says. He's not sending a messenger. He's not sending an emissary. He himself will come. And he comes back to claim his victory. That's what Paul means when he says, and the trumpet of God will sound. Now, You have to understand here that in this context, a trumpet is not playing smooth jazz. A trumpet here is not a musical instrument as much as it is a military instrument. It is declaring the victory of God in Jesus. It is declaring the strife is over, the battle is won, and Jesus is claiming his prize. And so this reminds us that there is more to the Christian life than this life. Because there is more for us in Christ. We have to confess that the chief blessing that God gives to us is not anything in this life. The chief blessing we get from God is Jesus. And Jesus returns to be with his people. And when Jesus returns, he brings new life. He raises up his people. And Paul makes this almost a point of emphasis. He says, And the dead in Christ will rise first. 
It's as if he wants us not only to know that the dead will not be left behind, they'll actually be first. And then we will all be together with the Lord. This resurrection is the sign of victory. It is not just another chance at life. It's not just an extension of this life. It is the victory that Jesus has won for us. Now we see this even in the language that Paul uses. Paul says that we will meet the Lord in the air. Now, the Greek language, like most languages, has many synonyms that mean the same thing. Come, go, meet, walk, entertain. This word meet is used normally in a specific context. It doesn't just mean a gathering. It is used of the concept when a conquering king comes back after a victory in war. And what would happen in Paul's day, in the days of the Bible times, is that the king would come back to his capital city. But before he could enter the city and celebrate the victory, the people of the city would go out to meet him. And they would together go back with the king triumphant, celebrating the victory that had been won. And that's what Paul means here when he says we go to meet him in the air. We go to gather together with Jesus. Jesus has raised up his people to celebrate the victory of God in Christ. Our resurrection is a celebration of Jesus' victory. But this is not a short-lived victory. Too often in life... Victory is fleeting, isn't it? You do really, really well on a midterm exam. And then you realize you've got to start studying immediately for the rest of the semester. A football team wins a championship. And the coach says, tomorrow we start practicing for next year. That's not the kind of victory that Jesus wins. We can often be afraid of what is coming ahead. But the greatest comfort of the resurrection is what we are resurrected to. Because we are resurrected, we will be with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. Do you hear that? Our resurrected bodies will be like Jesus' body. We will live forever. And that is the whole point of the resurrection. Being with Jesus. You see, if we were not resurrected, if we did not have eternal life, then we could not have Jesus forever. That is what we have been promised. That is what we need. That is what we long for. Think about what you are longing for today when you think about the deep mysteries of life. Is it the pleasures of heaven that you're longing for? Is it avoiding death? The Bible doesn't point us to either one of these things. What the Bible points us to is Jesus. And the Lord is giving us resurrected bodies so that we can be with Jesus forever. 
That is your calling as a Christian, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what Jesus purchased for you on Calvary. Eternal communion with Jesus. Because of what He has done, we are blessed. We are blessed to be with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you have reminded us that Jesus is our all in all. That you indeed, O Lord, have promised us a resurrection of the body. That we might have a resurrected body even as our Lord Jesus does. That we might long to be with him forever and ever. Lord, show us Jesus. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen.